We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire and BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Before I get into this week's episode, I want to read off the latest five-star review on Apple Podcasts of this pod because I really appreciate when you guys leave these as they help the podcast a ton, uh, help us get in those Apple charts, which no one knows how they work, and uh, it also helps soothe my extremely fragile ego. Latest review is from Hitter425250. Says, been listening since the beginning and completely, completely in all caps, forgot to do a review. That's okay. Better late than never. There are many reasons why I love this podcast. One, it's the same format every episode to review the movies so you know what to expect. That is true. Two, makes you rewatch movies you've seen a million times. Normally true. Three, classic sound bites from each movie. Normally true. And four, it's not terribly long. 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes, which is a perfect time to keep me interested the whole time. Now that's a great review, you love to hear it, but if you like the 45 minute to an hour and 15 minutes timeline, this particular episode goes a little bit longer. It's our non-sports movie of the month, We Talk Swingers, which is one of my favorites. It's got young Favreau, young Vince Vaughn, young Ron Livingston, it's just so damn good. 
Uh, it's one of my favorites and one of my, my guest favorites. Had my buddy Darren Vaught on again to break this one down. Darren is the host of Covering the Bases, which is the official podcast of USA Baseball. He talks to USA Baseball alumni, uh, you know, players, broadcasters. Talked to Adam Jones recently, which is cool. Uh, it's a must-listen if you're a baseball fan. Darren and I both love this movie, and we spent a hell of a long time talking about it. I hope everyone enjoys it. You will. There is a clear passion from both of us about how much we like this one. Next month's non-sports movie is going to be My Cousin Vinny, another one of my favorites. I turn it on every time it's on cable. Uh, that was suggested by the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. Go join for Sports Movie Talk and to pick August's non-sports movie. If you're new to Big Screen Sports, episodes drop every Monday. Please subscribe, rate, review. You guys know the drill. Uh, next week, we're going to kick off July with Uncut Gems, which I'm going to consider a sports movie because it's just too good not to talk about. But for now, let's finish off June. Let's talk Swingers with my buddy Darren Vaught. All right, returning to Big Screen Sports for this month's non-sports movie episode. He is the host of USA Baseball's Covering the Bases, one of the best in the business, my good buddy Darren Vaught. Darren, how are you doing? Uh, Man, I got the invite to talk about one of my favorite movies ever, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. It's always good to talk to you, but dude, to talk swingers at a time where We've been lacking sports, generally speaking. There are only so many sports movies to talk about. I'm I'm excited for this. I couldn't be more excited. Before we talk swingers, though, tell the folks where they can find Covering the Bases and if you can tease any of those interviews you have coming up. Yeah, so uh, Covering the Bases is the official podcast of USA Baseball. Uh, you can get it anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, We actually put every episode on the USA Baseball YouTube channel as well. It's a static image, but the full interview is there if that's more your style. And, um, you know, we've got, if you haven't listened ever before, we've got interviews back there with Jessica Mendoza, Chipper Jones, Scott Brocious. I just did one with Adam Jones, who's playing in Japan, longtime Baltimore Oriole before that, World Baseball Classic Hero. He talks about the catch. It's a lot of fun. Um, AJ is one of my favorite ever. So um, it was that one was a cool one. And then uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got number one overall pick Spencer Torkelson for the Detroit Tigers. And then uh, Troy Tulowitzki, who was a World Baseball Classic guy, Colorado Rocky and uh, New York Yankee. Was he with another pro team? I'm trying to remember. But, uh, I mean, obviously. The Blue Jays. I think he. Yeah, the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were in between the the Rockies and the Yankees. Yep. So, um, anyways, mainly Colorado Rocky, Troy Tulowitzki, but now Coach Tulo as he's back at at Texas and coaching. So, I'm I'm excited to talk about uh, all of that with him. He's he's an interesting dude and, and. you know, you know me because we played summer baseball way back in the day together as a middle infielder. Tulo was one of my guys. I, I revered him. So that's that's pretty cool. He was the first guy that I remember rocking like the faux mullet thing that was big among <laughs> baseball players for like a four to five year sweat uh, stretch. Yeah. So I, I think he was the first one I saw who decided that that was going to be a thing. Yeah. Again, anyways. Right. Because everything's cyclical and that had been a thing before, but not for what, 20 years in between something like that. He brought, he brought it back. Time is a flat circle. (laughs) Well, man, uh, I love your podcast. You know, this, Uh, it's one of my favorite interview series. 
but we're not here to talk any baseball today. We are talking about Swingers, the 1996 comedy. In the city of Los Angeles, where everyone is a player. What do you guys do? Oh, I'm a producer. Mike can't even get a seat on the bench. Where do I know you from? You ever been to the Ha Ha Hole on, uh, on Pico? Oh, you're, you're a comedian. It's, uh, you know, it's a dream. You know, it's a lot of hard work and travel. I know where it is. Starbucks. You came in and asked me for an application. But now his closest friends are getting him back into the swing of things. Vegas, baby! Vegas! Swingers. Wow. Get a nightlife. About the lives of single unemployed actors living on the east side Hollywood during the 1990s swing revival. It starred John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, Ron Livingston, and Heather Graham. It was directed by Doug Liman. It was written by John Favreau in two weeks. Got an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $4.6 million on a $200,000 budget, and I'd imagine it it raked it in as far as video rentals back when that was a thing. Uh, critics loved it. Audiences loved it. It made stars out of its lead actors and director. This movie hit just right. Darren, what what is this movie for you before you even classified as a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer? When, when someone asks you about swingers... What what do you say? What is your impression of this one? Well, it's so I tell you that uh, a lot of things I'll rank in like a top five or a top ten. And as a longtime sports radio producer, it's one of the the bad side effects of that, right? Like it's it's what a, a lifetime in sports radio has has turned me into. I just rank everything, whether I mean it or not. You know, uh, it, at some point you've got to temper that. You can't be Dick Vitale and not you know every kid can't be a first round draft pick. But um, this is truly don't tell Harold Reynolds that. <laughs> That's a yes, yep, you're right. He 100 percent does it as well. So. This the swingers truly, and I mean this in all sincerity. I'm dead serious when I say it. This is a top three, top five movie of all time for me. That it's top five at the worst. That's my general impression. And when someone mentions that they like it or that they know it, I get giddy because I realize I can have a conversation about it. And that's not always the case because it's it's a little bit of like a cult classic sort of movie that isn't as mainstream as as some other movies that you can can get dragged into discussions about right it's not the most not even the most like notable movie at least like like popcorn movie of of these actors of the stars but you could argue that it is their best work darren i think fair to say for you this is a hall of fame movie yeah oh easy easy easily hall of fame this was a first ballot and I'm harassing on Twitter anyone who did not vote for it, like the two or three guys that didn't vote for it in the Hall of Fame voting. I'm harassing them on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's a Hall of Famer for me, too. Um, at its core, it is just a cool, relatable L.A. movie about guys dating, struggling, being a support system. It's got really authentic camaraderie. It, it is, it's got great quotes. It's just a really fun, like, 96 minutes. Uh, it's just this cool snapshot. It catches these guys, a bunch of, of future stars early in their careers. It's easy to watch. It's fun to watch. It has aged well in terms of a watch. It doesn't, it doesn't feel dated in a bad way. 
You know, like yeah. it, it is clearly dated. It's clearly a different time. It's a snapshot of a of a different time, you know, 25 years ago, but it doesn't feel dated in in a bad way. Uh, it's just a super cool snapshot of this period. Uh, there is an incredible oral history uh, from from 2014. It was in Grantland, R.I.P. Grantland, by Alex French and Howie Kahn. Uh, it is called So Money, I believe. It is a fantastic read. I read through it last night. Um, but this one with, with these guys, I, I had put a question on the run sheet about what's your Vince Vaughn Mount Rushmore, and I kind of want to pivot to a, to a different opening question. Of the the main three actors, the main three male leads in this movie, Favreau, Vaughn, and uh, Ron Livingston, is this? Could you say that this is the best work from any of them? Because they they all have other other massive highs. Yeah, is this movie the best for any of them? So another all time favorite of mine is Wedding Crashers, and. I think that's usually going to be the first one that comes up with Vince Vaughn. Um, he he nails this character, and there are pieces of it in the the character that he plays in Wedding Crashers, and you can see that. I don't think a lot of people, most people are more familiar with Crashers than they are Swingers, so they don't necessarily see it. But if you, I'm telling you, if you if you watch Swingers and then go watch Crashers, like he's just he's just hearkening back to his Swingers days and this character that he has so carefully crafted over his career, and not that Vince Vaughn's the same same character and everything he does, but he's it's he's he's like an evolved version of Trent in in Wedding Crashers, and I, I think that's probably the first one that's going to come to mind for him. The fact that Favreau wrote this, it put him on the map. He was exceptional in it. Might be it for him, but but you and I actually texted before we hit record that uh, we both share a love for the movie Chef, which John Favreau which is does. Excellent. And, like he's nothing he does is bad, and I'm not even I'm not even a like a mainstream nerd type. So Mandalorian's not even really on my radar, and I know he's heavily involved with that, uh, which is legendary stuff. But he's just done so many different things and been great at them. I think Swingers would be tops for me, but I love him and Chef. Um, Wedding Crashers probably tops for Vaughn, but I, I I love him in this. And then I think that's Vaughn's. Like Vaughn has a a two film peak, like the highest of highs. I think it's, it's swingers and crashers. And then you've got some others, you know, um, like old school, just a bit below that. And then kind of everything on, but you're exactly right. Tying Trent to this with Favreau as an actor. I'd say I, I always associate him with swingers with the knowledge that like, yes, I really love chef. Um, obviously like his work in directing Iron Man, changed cinema yeah for the next you know the next decade plus um and then yeah the mandalorian i really enjoyed but i associate this with um with favreau and i'd asked you about livingston too livingston doesn't really get to cook as much in this one as he does a couple years later in 
office space. Yeah, it's which, probably not which really is a his, fair question about this movie. Yeah, yeah. So Livingston, far and away, office space is his 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 uh his keystone role and performance, no doubt about it. But and I know we're gonna talk about best scenes. Like he's he's great in this one. He is really good in this one. I had that was the there were two really pleasant surprises for me upon my millionth rewatch. The first one was that my fiance actually liked it. I thought it was <laughs> gonna be I thought this was gonna be definitely a a one-sided uh I put on something that she did not like, but she actually enjoyed it more than she thought she did. Uh and two I did not remember how good Ron Livingston was in this one because you think about Favreau and Vaughn the most when you think about this movie. And Livingston is, he provides a couple of pivotal moments, right? Um, When I look at the friend group in this, and since this is a sports movie podcast that just happens to be discussing a movie that's not, I'm going to make a sports analogy because I think that the core group here in this film is just like, perfectly put together lineup call it basketball whatever sport it's it's a handful of guys so basketball seems the most apt but it's they're all perfect role players and you know mikey favreau's character is down in the dumps and the whole premise is that they're trying to get him out and and to, to forget about his ex and uh rob i believe is is ron livingston's character's name He's he's the guy who comes in when Mikey truly needs it, right? And Trent keeps everything light and Trent's a confidence guy. Yeah, confidence guy. He's the hype man, he's a woo guy. He's the one like encouraging him when they are out. And you know, Ron's the guy. He he's the friend everybody needs. And you could argue that they're all a friend, a type of friend, an archetype that that everybody needs, but you know when Mike when Mikey's upset because he blows it when he gets the number from the barista and calls her over and over and over and over again and leaves seven eight voicemails before she finally picks up and says don't ever call me again. You should probably call that Nikki girl. <laughs> <laughs> but but Rob is the guy who shows up knows the answers to the questions that he's asking, right? He looks down and Mikey hasn't shaved. He's sitting in the floor. Blinds are shut. He rips the blinds open. Says, have you eaten today? Yesterday? And throws him, not a sandwich, which you initially think is what he's pulling out of the bag, because Mikey eventually is just cutting a full salami. And, you mean, you, you know, talk about bang for your buck. He needs sustenance. That's that's Rob thinking on the fly. He's like, all right, we're going to get him some OJ, get him some salami. He needs a lot in his system. We're just going to pump it. <laughs> Well, that's a good a good point to, to transition into the IMDb trivia because one of the reasons that this movie works so well is that that group, that team of guys and how authentic they feel, how they feel like real friends. They all serve their purpose. And I think the most important thing from the IMDb trivia that I pulled was when director Doug Lyman first sent the, sent the script to studios, they were interested in financing it. When Lyman said he wanted to cast the writer who was Favreau, and his friends as actors, the studio backed off. The money to shoot the film was raised independently, and Lyman cast who he liked. There is, there's a lot more in the trivia that suggests that, you know, about changes suggested to Lyman and Favreau or, or things that people want to do this film, and they stuck to their guns on this one, and it worked perfectly. Yeah, which is a, one of the 
the coolest elements of this movie. Um, I like to describe it as, as economical in, in multiple ways because a, you can read about how, how cheap it was truly to make this film. I mean, they practically did it themselves and there were even shots like toward the end of the movie with when, when in the, the big moment for Mikey and I, I'd be interested to know how many people actually catch this. He's at the bar and it's going back and forth between he and Lorraine. And it's this shot that's relatively up close because he's leaning onto the bar and looking back at her is kind of the perspective. Well, the shot's focused on his ear. His nose and his mouth are are well out of focus. But it's whatever. It's just it's one shot in this this really, really neatly kept film that everything else makes sense and ties together. So it's, it's not that big a deal, but somebody, you know, somebody with a, an eye like that could detect that, Oh, you know, his, his nose isn't quite in focus. That's the closest thing to me. Why is that not happening? So it's, it actually, to me provides a little bit of that like imperfect charm that, that these guys really just shotgun to this whole thing. And, um, it holds up too, despite that, because it's beautifully written. And oh yeah, there's it's economical in the the sense, Kyle, that it like there's not a scene or a line or a, a shot that is wasted that is not relevant to the story, which also makes it a, a really accessible watch too. You talked about the relatability of the characters, but you know, ninety six, ninety seven minutes. That's Perfect. And, and it's a tight 96. You're right on in that it is not a single thing is wasted, which is why it makes here in a little bit, it makes best scene tough because the yeah. movie is more like put together in acts, but everything, everything matters. And a lot of times it feels like because of the writing, because of the shooting style, it almost feels like you're not watching a movie. You're actually watching these people in real life interact. And I mean that in the best way in that it is just, it's such an authentic unique looking film that uh it is just it's fantastic another bit of trivia the movie's loosely based and this is why it's so authentic movies loosely based on the experiences writer john favreau had when he first moved to los angeles he had just broken up with a long-term girlfriend and counted on his friends vince vaughn and ron livingston to cheer him up the characters they play in the film are based on themselves can you imagine what a cool group of friends like oh yeah these are my friends vince vaughn and ron livingston these are my friends like i mean that's that's Unbelievable. And, you know, talk, people talk about like LeBron James throughout the come up has, has put his friends on, including his agent, Rich Paul, who's, who's been propelled to this phenomenal success as an agent and, uh, all, all of his, 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 his core group of guys, right? Favreau sort of did the same thing in terms of, of Hollywood because he put, he, he just brought these guys with him and, and, put all of them on and now they're all stars in their own right he's continuing to do it at a really really high level like historically great frequency with which he puts out quality stuff that's it's cool it's it's so cool and and it speaks to the authenticity too because at the end of the day 
actors or, or people. They're going to have their own tendencies, their own personalities. And I, I think most great performances is when that actor finds a role that's, you know, a little bit more in their wheelhouse, right? Just, just not quite, uh, there's 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 going to be some freelancing to to deviate from whatever their norm is and i would imagine this especially like a 20 year old vince vaughn this has got to be just like an exaggerated version of what he truly was and still is to some degree same with wedding crashers as we talked about so it's uh that's cool that you're getting at least a modified version of the the true friend dynamic yeah, it's just it's it's Favreau and his friends. And like one of the extras in the party scene, this is another bit of trivia, was Favreau's downstairs neighbor, and it was Adam Scott. <laughs> just all sorts of young talent in this movie. It's like the it's like watching the futures game, if you wanted to put a baseball yeah. reference into it. That's that's I haven't looked at her IMD IMDB either, but I mean Amanda Hughes was not the star that she's become when this came out. Right. And then, you know, a handful of years later, early two thousands probably is when everything was going to her and she was in, you know, Austin powers and all of the, the more mainstream. Oh, you mean, you mean Heather Graham or oh, Heather Graham. Sorry. What did I say? You said Amanda Hughes. That one threw me off. Oh, my bad. I don't, I don't know what that's super basic common names. Maybe that's, maybe that's what. Yeah. Did. Yeah. No, she does. Heather Graham does this. And then she does, uh, Boogie Nights and Austin Powers within like two years yeah. of this, and suddenly she's one of the biggest stars on the planet. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's that's a really cool element to see with this, and I, I don't know how many other movies do that, right? I mean, anymore somebody gets cast, and and yeah, Adam Sandler's got his deal with Netflix, where pretty much anything he wants <laughs> yeah, to make with his a, friends. That's a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> but but you don't see this anymore because there's no way you could get this like independently financed. Like if Swingers was going to be, I mean, we'll talk way at the end about like you know if we would like to see more from this crew. But if something like Swingers is going to come around in 2020, it's going to be a YouTube series or something. Yeah, like it's going to be something that these guys put together put on YouTube, um, something like that. And like that, that's what swingers would look like in 2020. If so, if a group of friends wanted to put this out, it doesn't become an independently financed film. Yeah. And ironically enough, it's, it's, it's all the rage for screenwriters currently in 2020 and, in recent years to write about being screenwriters or being in LA uh, I, know, I know there are a ton of like Netflix original series that that are predicated on this now. So it's funny that in '96 that's what worked for this one, and it, it's it's like a trend to do that now, just because you know, just like anything else, it's what writers know. So they're gonna they're gonna write things based on biographical experiences, and and most of them are out in L.A. Well, the thing about this one, like looking at back at it in retrospect 25 years later, the thing that's almost kind of meta about it, and this is another bit of the trivia, like when the characters are at Trent's apartment, they've got the Reservoir Dogs poster, the Taxi Driver poster, but then they have that that scene, that argument about Scorsese and Tarantino, and they're talking about the shot in Goodfellas, 
and then there's the tribute to Reservoir Dogs with the the slow motion the slow motion scene and the tribute to Goodfellas the the Copacabana shot. Oh yeah, and then suddenly Swingers becomes a movie that is like that for future generations of filmmakers. Yeah. It becomes a movie that people are trying to replicate that same kind of thing. It's really it's really funny and it's like there was this clear appreciation for movie culture in the movie. Yeah. No, and I I had it's, that it works perfectly. Yeah. I had those both written down as as notes and and the the card playing scene. It's it's just that's what that's what I'm talking about when I say there's nothing wasted in here and everything ties back in somewhere. And those are the specific scenes that they're talking about, right? Like when, when they go into the, the, to go swing dancing, it's the, the long drawn out scene. And, and Vaughn of course is the, the affable leader in that bunch. And he's the one like smacking everybody saying, Hey, asking how they are. Um, in the one continuous shot, dude, I I love it. And then the the slow mo sort of stop motion almost montage on their way to the party. Um, God, it's it's all good stuff. It's just it's so it's, it's everything's perfect. It's perfect. Everything's perfect. We might go three hours on this one. Everyone, <laughs> yeah. buckle your seatbelts. I hope you got a long drive. That's the rub. That's the rub. Just the get line. <laughs> <laughs> the line "You're so money" came from a Spike Lee Michael Jordan commercial. The director kept calling the basketball player "money" in the Nike advertisements. John Favreau saw those commercials, but the first time he ever heard someone describe something as money in real life was when Vince Vaughn said it on the set of Rudy. Potential investors and studios wanted to get rid of the monies, honeys, and babies, which is another example of these guys sticking to their guns and saying, "No, we're keeping this in." and the Vince Vaughn's lingo, Trent's lingo, and in in a lesser extent, kind of Sue, basically how they talk, how they back and forth, is so iconic. Baby, that was money. Tell me that wasn't money. That was so demeaning. She smiled, baby. I can't believe what an asshole you are. No, no, baby, she smiled. I can't. I, she was smiling what an asshole. No, 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 you no, no, no. She was smiling at how money I was. What I did with her. Could we get out of here all right? Because I'm not going to pay for a Mike, what the hell do you want to get out of here for? The honey baby's bringing us a cocktail. What are you now? nuts? You think she's coming back here? Baby, I know she's coming back here. Did you even hear what she said? You shouldn't leave without getting something for free. Baby, she wants to party. She wants to. It has endured these these last twenty five years. I think well, most people, if you, if you want to play like word association or phrase association, and you say swingers, I, I think most people would just hit you with a "you're, you're so money," or a "you're so money, baby." It's it's one of those very all the beautiful babies, all the beautiful babies. Uh, it it would take so much from this film. If if those were replaced with, I don't know, what's a more pedestrian way to say you're so money? The lovely women. <laughs> lovely women everywhere, right? <laughs> lovely women. You're you're doing great, friend. Yeah. You're so a great person. Yeah. <laughs> you're quality. You're 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 so quality and you didn't even know it. <laughs> the next thing I had for the IMDB trivia, some of the slang used in the film became popular in the years following its release especially the use of the word money as a catch-all term of approval or quality. The exclamation Vegas baby also became a common quote when referencing the city. The film also gave exposure to the term wingman and its social interaction context. Wingman is woven into the fabric of society now. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't guess I realized that this was maybe not the inception of wingman, but 
its its first plunge into pop culture. That's a big one. It's huge. It's huge. There's so much of this movie. I mean, obviously, guys in their 20s have worshipped this movie for over two decades. It, it makes a lot of sense that this one is very ingrained in, in guy culture and just in pop culture in general. But I, I, I didn't realize, you know, and IMDb is IMDb, but I didn't realize that a lot of this stuff was directly traced back to uh, traced back to this movie. Darren, let's take a quick ad break, and then let's get into best scene. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. You know what you didn't hear in this ad? MLB, because MLB has lost its mind. I don't know when we're going to be able to bet on it, but you can pretty much bet on everything else right now, so that's great. Uh, looking for something other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. All right, we are uh, we're back with to to talk about the best scenes in this one, and this proved normally, you know, I I list off scenes chronologically. Me and the guests try to you know pick our favorite. This film is more about sequences and tying together set pieces instead of straight up scenes like kind of block by block. My my fiance pointed out when we were watching last night, there's basically an axe, like it is, like it is kind of an an axe of you know Mike and Trent take Vegas. First night out, second night out, epilogue. And they all tie together. It's very hard to break them up. Um, so, like, the the first scene I put down, you had mentioned earlier, when Rob and Mike at the diner, the opening scene of the movie, but it sets up Mike for the whole movie. It sets up the gist of the whole movie. You know, they're talking about how Mike needs to handle his breakup, but it's it all it also predicates, like, hey, we're going to talk about how to date in your 20s in L.A., um, it's, it's clearly not the first time they've had this conversation, but then that rolls right into, uh, Mike on the phone with Trent. Your first introduction to Trent is through the phone. Yeah. And, and to your point, that's introductions are so crucial. And especially if you're going to tightly do a film like this. And I, I like the, the, thought that it's it plays out in acts but within those acts you know, we're going to talk about scenes and and you know by a scene i mean continuous dialogue in the same setting right they don't last that long because it's such a quick cutting and, and there's no there's no fat on the edges of of these scenes um but the scene with with ron livingston at the beginning just sets up this everyone has felt it this this universal hurt that Favreau is going through right and it just it the the great thing about the dialogue and all these is it articulates it in such such uh such ways that just resonate and i i don't think that's not the case for any of the the heavier scenes and it includes Ron Livingston and a couple of them and, uh, you know, even Vince Vaughn provides that sort of insight, even though he's the lighter hearted character. But um, and 
again, to your point, that that's the rub scene when when Ron says, you know, you, you're going to get over her and it's going to hurt or whatever, and you're gonna you're gonna know when you're over her, and then he's like, oh, okay, so then you know when's she going to call back? He's like, no, 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 she's going to call back, but it's bound to be the minute you forget about her, right? Like. And of course, that happens later in the movie. It's just perfect. It's, when he's on the phone with Lorraine, yeah, it's so perfect. Or, or when right, right when Lorraine is about to call, yeah. there's nothing. There's not a single scene in this movie. There's not a single set piece instance of something happen that you can't identify. Feel there's something like identifiable with. Yeah, there's not. There's not a single part in this movie where you, as a viewer, cannot say this. This feels real. I've been through this or I've seen this or it is just very, it just very much very authentic. I, I'm going to say it over and over again. I'm going to hammer that nail. It is very authentic. <laughs> I love that. Let, that I, rules. I love that. I was going to Go say, ahead. I love the answering machine in the scene with Trent's call because a, it's the perfect introduction of Trent. B, it elaborates on what you were getting with, with uh, Mikey getting the talk from from Rob at the diner and he's hung up he's he's you know checking his messages or whatever and then again with something experimental that they did with little resources in this film the answering machine is is talking to Mikey and at first it, it can maybe strike you as a little weird maybe just because it's a, a movie in 1996 trying something that only you know a film probably more modern could could really definitely do like there's there's not a second thought if you're writing a screenplay in 2020 there's not a second thought to okay let's have him fantasize that the answering machine is talking to him other than the idea that answering machines do not exist and he wouldn't be on a landline but you know he's going to be in his own head and like siri's going to be telling him you need to let it go mikey or something like that in the modern version of this but Another experimental element that I I just love. I actually I have a thing about that in a little bit that I that I want to get to. Okay, but um, let's roll into the the next scene, the next act. Basically, is Mike and Trent take Vegas. It's the quintessential. These dudes think they're going to have a lot more fun in Vegas than they will actually have. <laughs> just the the key, and this is an LA movie, like through and through. Like this is they're they're writing about their experiences in LA. But I I have to say I am not the most detailed moviegoer in history. I've not seen, you know, I'm not a savant. I'm just a fan. But in my young moviegoing life, if someone says movie about Vegas, movie with, you know, involving Vegas, I think of three movies. I think of Ocean's Eleven. I think of Casino. And I think of this. I think of like the 15, 20 minutes that Mike and Trent are in Vegas. No hangover? Seems kind of Oh, I forgot forgot about the hangover. I forgot about the hangover. So let's call it a Vegas Rushmore then. <laughs> forgot about the hangover. Yeah. <laughs> um, 100% right. And and again, just be, just to, to hammer home the point of authentic situational awareness, right? Trent's driving. It's Vegas, baby, Vegas. The scene goes on. Vegas, baby, it's, it's Vegas. Pans Already over, running out of steam. Pans over to Mikey. He's dozing off in the passenger seat because he already regretted going when they got in the car. And then they pull in. And, and Trent's trying to convince him that this this 
like old run down casino is where they need to be right and there's the the quick cuts of of elderly people on slots and and things like that dude it's classic it's so good and then the relatable blackjack scene where like everyone's done this you've walked up to a table that you didn't realize the minimums you can't afford it you don't want to look like <laughs> you don't want to look like that guy who's like oh I can't can't do the can't do the five dollar table. I can't or I can't. I don't want to back out. And especially because they're going with the high roller thing and they just like Favreau, they just step on rake after rake. And it is just the the always double down. Double down. What? Got an 11. You always double down 11. I know, but it's two hundred dollars. It's plus money. I can't double down. Mike, if you don't look like you know what you're doing, you must have Shut up. And then the $5 table where Joan Favreau, Favreau's mom, is the big winner. Yeah, She's the yep. one who gets comp the comp the breakfast or the room or whatever. But that rolls into Trent's big winner speech. You know, who's, who's the big winner? Yep. You say it. I want to hear you say it. <laughs> that is the first, you touched on earlier, this is the first incarnation that we as a movie-going public get of the Vince Vaughn, like the pump-up persona. Yeah. That it's the it's basically the the inkling of Jeremy like the first fire in the flame of Jeremy Gray and Wedding Crashers, the Vince Vaughn fast talking confidence guy. I turned on the internship regrettably a few nights ago, <laughs> and it's that part of Vince Vaughn that makes that movie even watchable. Yeah, and it, it's so good. The big winner speech is so good. You should be sorry. You're a winner. I'm the fucking loser. I'm the one who should be sorry. Baby, don't talk that way. Can we just go, please? Can we go. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money. You know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. It is. It is. And it's, again, it's the first taste of it you get. So then you sort of, you, you start to understand the dynamic a little bit more, right? And especially, I can imagine, you know, I, I was young in 1996, and so I didn't see this until after, well after it was uh, released, I don't I don't think. But, you know, I, I can imagine your first impression of Vaughn as an actor being, we're going to Vegas. We're going to Vegas. And, and you know, it's going to be fun to some people. It's going to be obnoxious to some people. It just depends on which which profile you fit, right? Are you Trent? Are you Mikey? And at that point, you're like, okay, there, there's a good friend in there. And that sets it all up with everybody's role. Because by that point, you've heard from Rob. He's he's not the one that dragged Mikey to Vegas. So you, you, you get the picture there. And uh, those are the two main friends in this one. So, so like... It's it's at that point that it becomes clear what each is about, and you can compartmentalize the types of friendships. So it's a it's a super important scene. 
And he's, you can tell right away that you are going to war with this guy too. He's going to talk yeah. you into anything, <laughs> but he's, he's got good intent behind it. He's very magnetic. And like, I think it's pretty fair to say this is the most handsome Vince Vaughn has ever been. He, he is very magnetic and charming and handsome in this movie. Yeah. And it, he, he, the character Trent uses it to his advantage very much. Yeah. And if you, and if you're someone who's familiar with Vince Vaughn, recently and maybe have never seen this movie it like shocks you how thin and baby-faced he is because i mean he's how old is he when they do this like 20 21 maybe i mean he's he's young early yeah early 20s it startled my fiance yeah like it it really threw her for a loop for like the first (laughs) 30 minutes of this movie yeah um but i get it right and he 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 does the charm thing well, which is what makes him a, a middle-aged actor in Wedding Crashers who is, you know, he's just a dude. He's an average-looking dude. It's not like he has devastatingly good looks, but you buy his his character there because of the charm and the wit. And that you see that plus, okay, he's young. He's as handsome as he's ever going to be in this one. Yeah, he's great. Um I kind of, you know, they do the rest of the Vegas scene, like, again, like being stuck in a random place with, you know, two two random Vegas waitresses. Like, we've all been in kind of a weird situation <laughs> but, at some but, point. But Kyle, so, can, so. We, can we talk about the small authenticities of that scene? Like, checking up on your friend. You've got the, the uh, it's, it's not a curtain, but it's like a, it's a, it's a door that, separates the rooms right and we've all seen no matter how old or young we're all familiar with that and it's going to drum up some memory of somewhere and when vaughn is with his girl from the couple there's all these stuffed animals in the way and it's just it's just this it creates this awkward split second where he's just like looking up and and there's a dozen teddy bears at his head uh there are so many of those small intricacies that you just chuckle at when you see them in this movie it's um it's it's fantastic and you don't realize how bad it is with favreau until he has to use the phone yes you're just like oh which is is, an excruciatingly like you're embarrassed for him in that moment it's probably the second most. There's a couple times where you're really embarrassed for Favre, like twice in Vegas, the the blackjack, and then this. the 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 only thing that I think tops that is later in the movie when he's leaving numerous voicemails. <laughs> um, the the Vegas scene it kind of rolls into the roadside talk where it's like, you know for sure Trent is actually a good guy. He's not a fake pump up guy for his own uses. He legitimately cares about Mike. Mm-hmm. He wants Mike to to you know pop out of it. It does Trent no good for like he he's basically he's not using Mike. Mike does Trent no good. Trent could find another wingman, another guy to hang out with. Um the the roadside talk is a very good scene, especially there's a bit of trivia like they did not have a permit for it. So they had to, it was very cagey how they filmed it. <laughs> yeah. um, I've read that they almost got like chased from the scene by police and didn't get their, their actual shot. And I would imagine there's an element of this in a lot of those public scenes that you don't get 
or go through the proper red tape for. But especially on a low budget indie movie, yeah. So like I I had read that they weren't even sure if they got the full scene when they left because there were like police driving by or or driving up to them and they were just like, all right, we gotta go. Um, well, and it wor- it works perfectly though. Yeah. Oh, it does. Like that that whole th- that whole kind of thing that the way they filmed it, the fact that it's not just kind of a steady camera with controlled sound. It, it it makes it even better. Yeah, it does. And there's there there are a few scenes like that where they're just so raw. I talked about it th- earlier. It just gives it like an imperfect charm. And at that point, you're humiliated for Mikey. He's getting this pep talk. It's they they lean in on the the you're so money and you don't even know it um, for the first time. You've heard him say refer to women as babies. You've heard Vaughn say that mikey is money but this is the first time you get like the the elevator pitch and you kind of get the sense that it's it's a mikey this is what i've been telling you and it's tough for for a movie to sort of tell the past over an extended period of time that's not included in the timeline of the movie but they do that with trent telling Mikey those things. And he's like, they're almost going back to like recap the morning and, and recap the situation with those two girls. Right. And he's like, all right, what, what, what could you have done better? (laughs) (laughs) It's an evaluation. Yeah, it is. It's 100% an evaluation and they make it seem like they've done it a hundred times over the last six months that Mikey's trying to get over his ex. And you know they have. You know for a fact yeah. they have. This is not the first time. Um, the roadside talk rolls into, I guess, Act Two, which is the first night out. And just, I'm going to run through really quickly everything that happens in this first night out because it's like, how do you? It's hard to dice this up and do. Okay, this is a this is a certain scene. We should like it all rolls together. It's not you can't really pull a pull a piece out. There's the the pre-gaming by playing NHL 93 and the, the Wayne Gretzky <laughs> getting smashed on the ice fight, which is iconic in its own room. It's like hallmarks of the 90s, 90s guys in their 20s. There's yeah, video games, scene. there's a Reservoir Dogs poster, um, you know, talking about when they're showing up. You know, the party starts at 8. Why are we, you know, why are we going to a bar at 10? So we can meet somebody else for dinner at 11 and then go to the party at yeah. midnight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The uh, the line of cars going from place to place. Uh, a lot of drunk driving in this movie, you'd have to assume. Um, it's where the movie the movie really starts like picking up. It's kind of I think when I think of swingers, I think of like the L.A. dating scene. I think of this first scene. I think of this first night out the most. I think when I think of swingers, you get Trent getting the number, tearing it up. Uh, Trent and Sue just working all night. That's another like. You like you've gone out as a group and you know there's like two guys in every squad that are just like they they've got one thing on their mind like they're not there to have fun they're they're there to work the dating scene yeah, they're yeah, there yeah. to talk to women and like Trent and Sue are on that different level like the other guys are having fun if they meet a woman that's great they'd probably love to Trent and Sue are like we're we're going for it <laughs> and then uh you get the bear speech which is it was I pulled it from the trivia. It was something that Vaughn had actually said, apparently something similar to that to Favreau and Favreau worked it into the, into the script. 
but it's it's Vaughn. It's probably the peak of Vaughn is the confidence guy. Don't you want me like a big bear with 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 claws and with fangs, man. big fucking teeth, yeah, man. man, fucking teeth on you. She's just like this little bunny who's just kind of cowering in the corner, shivering. Yeah, man, just kind of. You, you know, you got these claws and you're staring at these claws, man. And you're thinking to yourself with these claws, you're thinking, man, how am I supposed to kill this bunny? And you're how am I supposed it, to man. kill you're this bunny? Yeah, you're not hurting it. You're just kind of gently batting the bunny around. You know what I mean? And the bunny's scared, Mike. The bunny's scared of you. And you got shivering. these fucking claws you got these and fucking fangs, claws man. and these fangs, man. And you're looking at your claws and you're looking at your fangs and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know how to kill the bunny. With this, you don't know how to kill the bunny. Do you know what I mean? You're like a big bear, man. Um, you get the how long do I wait to call conversation. Yeah. And then you get Sue and then you get Sue pulling a gun. Yeah. And that is the that is the the act the first night out. Like all that stuff, iconic like little scenes in this movie are all in this this first night out act. It is a it's a heater. Yeah. And and there's there are stretches, you know, that build up to that that are, um, you know, get the, the car speech, and then one that that overlooks, it's a quick scene, but I love it, is um, Mikey and Rob playing golf. and Oh, so good. And, so good. And, and Rob's explaining he didn't get this part in a pilot episode of some kind of show, so he's resorting, he's resorting to being goofy at Disney. And, you know... <laughs> They go through the conversation. Well, how, how am I going to tell my parents, right? Like, hey, didn't get the part. I'm goofy. Uh, it's like, Mom, hi. I didn't get that pilot. By the way, I'm goofy. Send more money. And and then... That's, that was the thing about doing this rundown. And I, I was just like, I feel like I can't put every scene but down. There's, but it's like we said earlier, every, like the whole all 96 minutes is so perfect. Yeah, it is. So I, I love that scene because it just... Further illustrates Mikey's emotional state because he he at the end of their round as they're finishing up he reminds or their their first hole because he's like dead heat through one hole but um, Mikey reminds him hey you know I didn't mention her once today <laughs> and he mentions that like four times separately <laughs> to remind Rob that he hasn't mentioned his ex girlfriend which is just uh, again, one of those relatable moments. It's just really fun. Yeah, and then that rolls right into the first night out. Do you have a highlight of that, a favorite part? I feel like we should probably just pick our favorite parts of like the, the two nights out. Do you have a preferred, like what's your favorite part of that that first night out with the guys, which is hard in itself to pick a just pick a segment from? Yeah, I... I... I find myself in this this movie usually being drawn to Mikey Favreau's character, and again with the humiliation of him trying to explain to the Starbucks barista that he's he's doing well, and uh, <laughs> I you know I got, I got a booking agent, gonna gonna buy myself a car, or something foreign, you know I I figure I work hard, why not? And I work hard. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to walk himself back because she finally recollects that, you know, two weeks ago he came in and she introduced him to the manager. Um, it's it's sort of a turning point, not full, because, he, of course, he he screws it up by by endlessly leaving voicemails. 
that night. But uh, he screws it up right away. Yeah. So so when he goes back and gets the number, that's it's it's cool because it's like all right, progress. Like yeah, go Mikey, and he falls flat on his face pretty quickly after that. And there's a realness to that, right? Like it's it's a steady work your way back into the game. I, in most cases, that is, and uh, I, I love that sequence. So it, it includes the voicemail scene, of course, but uh, him him going back to her to get the number. I think I like the bear speech the most. Like I, I was smiling ear to ear when when that was going on, but it's all it's all good. Um, that rolls into the second night out. You get you get uh, actually in between that you get the. Um, the scene where Rob shows up at Mikey's apartment that that you had mentioned again. I didn't write it down for best scene, but like, f- fuck it, we're just going to talk about everything because it's all good. It's like a perfect ninety six minutes. Yeah, and you you kind of touched on it for the. I mean, it, it's a perfect. It, it's Rob getting Mikey to snap out of it. Yeah, but the second night out, uh, you get the apology between Mikey and Sue, which is which is really good. Uh, the guys from the gun confrontation showing up again, at the house, which no, is awesome. No loose threads again, right? Like they come, they they make good with those guys. They're playing in HL just like they were the other night. Um, Sue references Trent. He's like, man, these guys love tea. You know, he's he's a talker, and it kind of it, you, you you know Trent to be that by that point. But it's a very genuine moment where he's like giving one of them a high five as they're playing the Sega Genesis. Um, it's just a cool full circle thing, again, because there are so many of them in a short amount of time. Yeah, and that, that rolls into uh, they, they go out to the, the first bar or whatever it is. And Trent and Sue having the just doing the runaround on if Sue called that girl or not like that. That shtick cracks me up like i i remember we were playing and and you you weren't gone long enough to have made a phone call which is just it's so good (laughs) yeah well it leaves with trent mid-sentence and he's he's you you can imagine this out of that type of friend he's like no 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 no. you see what happened was and then it just goes off with mikey you know wandering off and doing his thing and you get and then you know Mike and Lorraine that's the first win you see for Mikey all movie and it's great you're like hey this guy has something he's turning the corner he's he's doing a little swing dancing hey the movie's called swingers that's great <laughs> like you you get to see Mike win you get to see the guys watch Mike get a win that's great and then at the end Trent is the drunk friend at the diner that is me at a Roanoke Waffle House circa 2010 <laughs> we have all every single person has been at the late night diner and just had one too many and just cannot, can't, can't really get it all together. There she is, the wonderful lady. <laughs> right? Personality plus all the time. Every time I come in here, nothing but smiles for me. Whatever. I'm ready to eat. Here it is. Dinner at the Apollo. <laughs> me and you. See that? He's being funny. Whatever. I don't have to be liked to everyone. Some people don't like me. I don't like certain people. Darling, I think everything looks absolutely wonderful tonight. Ow! What the hell are you kicking me for? Fine, I'll ask her. You want me to ask her, ma'am? Where do the high school girls hang out around here? You know what, man? You were fucking awful. And that is true. Like, when when Vaughn gets on the table, you're just like, I've seen this before. You know. From a first-person point of view. You know we go way back when, like, memories from 
Waffle House in Roanoke, Virginia come up for both of us when we see that, right? Like, a hundred percent, a hundred percent what I thought about. And, um, it's great. That's, it's, uh, it's, God, it's so good. And I love, I love, again, I'm drawn more to Favreau's character and sort of the growth and, and in a really, a really real way. I, I love that he references that he took a swing dancing class with his ex because there's a, there's sort of a big, a big picture moral there that, you know, we got something out of it. And presumably going forward, he's going to continue to find those little things that he got out of it and not feel so, you know, he's going to be able to move on with pieces of it that, that, that allow him to be better. And I think that's, that's sort of what the, the movie's all about. Um, so I, I love that. And obviously it's, it's like the, the culmination of everything, right? Swingers and he's swing dancing with the, the, the eventual win that he gets yeah and then the last thing i had down is mike and trent at the diner it's the perfect end scene i mean that that scene is is trent thinking he's talking to the woman who's talking to her baby it's it's a great end so so it's a great end to the to the movie and this is something that that format wise holds up in just in the way that that when you detect the pattern you can see it in every single scene so after Trent is explaining the Sue phone number callback situation, and they're watching as Mikey talks to Lorraine at the bar, they're both bombing right there because they're so focused on what Mikey's doing, right? And in, in a scene in which otherwise throughout the film, they would be, you know, eyes on the prize. They're both like taking shots, celebrating Mikey, pissing off the girls around them. And it's like the, the, the script is flipped, right? Like they're bombing, Mikey's getting the win. So at the diner at the end with Trent, it's, it's him dive bombing, right? Cause he thinks this woman's into him and she's not. And it's, he just, he mistook it for something that it wasn't. And Mikey's describing his win all along. So it's, it's like this you know, reversal of, of roles by the time you get to the end of the movie. And I love that. If you had to pick a best scene or a best act or a best tiny part of this movie, if you had to pick something of all the stuff we just talked about, what is your, what is your pick? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna limit you into, you got to pick one of the, the acts or, you know, something specific. What is your favorite scene part act of this movie? God, it's so hard to pick one. Um, I think I like Rob in Mikey's apartment. Really? I think I do. I don't know. I don't know why necessarily, but I did the rewatch like today, and I think as a full scene, I think that's it. Because at that moment, you're just like, dude, Rob. Rob's the friend everybody needs. Part of the reason that I moved out here is because I saw how well you were doing, and I figured that if you could make it, then I could make it too. I didn't make it. You got an agent, you got in the unions. You know, that's your problem, is that you... You don't look at the things that you have. You only look at the stuff that you don't have. Those guys are right about you, your money. And, yeah, no, I don't know. He's just like, 
leveling with each other because it's in a lot of ways this movie is just about friendship and that's that's it's up there it's it's for sure one of them um i am gonna be i'm gonna be worse about this and just take the entire first night out from (laughs) nhl 93 to mikey bombing with the voicemails i'm gonna take that entire thing if like if i was gonna if someone was like if someone was like show me a clip from this movie and like you gotta sell me on it I'm just gonna be like, you have to watch the entire first night out for sure, and get, that's that's a good you'll qualifier. Get, you'll get so much of this one. You'll you'll get everything you need to get. Yeah, no, that's it's a good qualifier too. The the if you could only show one to someone to sell them on this movie, because like you said, that's that's when it picks up. That's when everything happens, right? Um, and and shit gets real, for lack of a better way to put it. If you haven't seen this one in a while, you think there's more nights out than just the two, just yeah. because so much is packed into the first night out. Yeah. It's You're true. like, wait, Sue pulls the gun the same night they go to the house party? Like, that can't be right. <laughs> and then there's, like, little things. Again, it's a relatively short movie, but everything in it is so good and so important. We're just skipping things. But uh, it is... Mikey's friend Charlie and they meet him out at the first party and it's crammed and, and he's got this running bit where a couple of different places they go he's like this place is dead anyway and in each case the place is packed and it's too crowded um, that's something I'm, I'm trying to fill let's in let's roll gaps, that basically. into best quote then yeah there you go let's there roll go. that into best quote because I have that as one of my quotes, okay, uh, this place is dead anyways, man. It's Charles's go-to <laughs> when it's time to leave another spot. It's a relatable line. I, the The other four nominees I have for best quote are the ones that have, have endured. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Look at all the beautiful babies here. Baby, you're so money and you don't even know it. And then, hi, mom, I didn't get that pilot. By the way, I'm goofy. Send more money. Yeah. That's a great what is one. Your, what is your pick? What's the swingers quote that what's the best quote in this movie? So this what's is the one that most enduring quote as well. Yeah. So the most enduring is you're so money and you don't even know it. That's got I mean, That's gotta be it. I, like I said, I think if you do phrase association with most people, that's, that's going to be it in the first night in Vegas. There are a couple of these and I don't know this one word for word, but when Mikey's trying to order a scotch, and he's naming all of them, and he's like any any Glenn, really. Uh, that's that's a part that cracks me up. Um, my favorite, and you got to find somebody who is a like deep appreciator of this movie to just be able to reference this quote off the cuff in casual conversation. But when they're getting breakfast the next morning after the first night in Vegas, and Mikey's looking at at the menu, and he says, "Breakfast anytime." I'll have pancakes in the age of enlightenment. And, and it just, <laughs> and it's like a lead balloon. It just does not hit, right? And then there's the hang on Voltaire afterward, which, you know, French philosopher Voltaire. So it's like, okay, it's stuck. And, and, and Mikey and Trent like share that look of like, oh, she did get it. Yeah. And to me, that's great too, because it tells you that, you know, Mikey's got some wit. He's just, He's just a little bit like we all know the person, right? The particularly quirky person who just doesn't like there. There are are 
mainstream niceties that kind of just miss them. It's not that they're socially awkward. They're just sort of on a different wavelength. I think that's Mikey in this in this film. And at that point, you're just kind of like, okay, it's there. We just got to find the right fit. He just needs more of Trent to pull it out for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Baby, You're So Money, I think it just, it, that's the one that, it still gets said yeah. 25 years later. Yep. So um, let's roll into the most authentic, least authentic aspects of the movie. In a typical sports movie, you know, this is where you, you point out the, the authentic or least authentic sports movie action. It's a little easier to see, but this this movie is so based on authentic, feeling authentic that um, what did you have for the, what was the most authentic thing to you? And I, I feel like that this answer might be kind of broad. Yeah, it could be. I, I was trying to, to specify it when it came to this. And it's, again, it's just incredibly hard to do. Um, they made it a really, really good point to give off the, the LA vibe, like the, this is where young people come to, to struggle vibe. Um, like at the party when Mikey tries to introduce himself to the, the, the couple of, of women. And it's like, well, what, what do you drive? And he's just like, Cavalier. It's, it's red. It's red Cavalier. And he's ignored past, past that point. Um, so, you know, the, the, the casual talk about parts that they're going for, that sort of thing. And again, I, you know, you see films and, and shows that are, are on various streaming platforms now that, that center around characters like this. So you sort of imagine that that's what, that's how they talk, how, how they talk about it. Like, uh, I think it was, it was Charlie, the, the Favreau's friend, Mikey's friend who, who, has the the quote whenever it's time to go on to another place. Uh, Mikey asks him about a specific role. He was like, hey, did you get that pilot? And Charlie laughs and just like, no, but I know you didn't because you're asking me. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> There's just a lifestyle piece in there. We talked about friendship. We talked about, you know, their emotional ups and downs and things like that. I, th I think they got the lifestyle of aspiring actor aspiring producer in this environment where everyone is only aspiring and barely doing that right i yeah i think they nailed that um in in the same kind of vein i for most authentic i just had that um you know i, I wrote, wrote down the same thing you know struggling actor hangouts of the mid 90s like favreau <laughs> live this you know it's you know it's turned up it's you know it's dramatized, but it, the chemistry between the guys is authentic. And I think that's another thing. It's just like dudes in their 20s. Like this all feels real. Nothing about this movie feels super forced. And I think that that comes out. I didn't really have anything as least authentic. I couldn't I couldn't really pull something. There's not a uh, there's not a Freddie Prince Jr. throwing the baseball here to point at and be like, nope, that's yeah. not that doesn't add up. No, for sure. And yeah, I mentioned the scene with the women just like cutting straight to the point. What do you drive? Um, that's, that's a things like that are a bit exaggerated, but it's to get the point across. Right. I mean, there's, there's going to be, it's those things are exaggerated just in the same way that Vince Vaughn's 
real personality is exaggerated with the character Trent, that John Favreau's real personality is exaggerated with the person Mike. And so I don't, I don't see those as as flaws, right? Because they serve a purpose. Because, yeah, the movie wouldn't work if they weren't turned up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, to that point, I don't really have anything for not authentic. Then let's move into to what worked. Let's let's see if we can figure out anything that worked in this movie that we haven't talked about. Re- reference the past ninety minutes of us talking, or however long we've been. <laughs> have we have we talked as much about how this is just an incredible LA movie? Like it's one of I mentioned it's one of the movies I think of when I think of Vegas movies. I also th- like. I don't have as many L.A. movies. I like. I think of L.A. Confidential a lot, but that's like an older noir yeah. L.A. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood, more recently, but that's an older. That's a 1960s L.A. This is this is my 90s L.A. Yeah, and, and there are subtle references to it, like Trent explaining. I'm trying to remember who's in that scene. Is it Trent explaining to? No, it's Mikey explaining to rob about la clubs because rob's the one that's just moved out there he's explaining la clubs as well you know they're they're really only considered cool if they're hard to find and then you you take a girl to the place it's like an achievement because it's like hey I i found this right it's it's less for for whatever reason finding those clubs is is the status thing um so that was a nice sort of touch point on on the culture in LA and then you know I talked about the the way they talk about going out for roles with one another and, and, and things like that it's just I think those are are interwoven right the, the way the way the young struggling aspiring blank is um yeah the um but the the soundtrack in this one it captures that i mean it's you know the swing revival was a thing in the 90s but it's jazzy it's filled with classics it is it just it pops the whole movie and it is every every bar they walk in every like even the house party it's like accompanied by this new this like musical vibe that you associate with it even the um the the staying alive cover which has become an iconic thing. When I think, I think it's when they go to the Dresden. Yeah, but that is also it. It's something that the the soundtrack in this movie worked really well. Yeah, and it's one of those things too where the score from beginning to end sort of serves as the backbone for it. Even when you didn't notice it, there was just like a horns instrumental in the back, very light, just like you're you're in a jazz club or or whatever. And so sometimes you didn't even notice it, but it was based on the Dean Martin at the beginning, the overture that you just kind of detect throughout the rest of it. And it just flows and it just carries it. So yeah, like where, where scores go wrong is when you notice music when you're not supposed to notice it, but it's still got to be there in a lot of cases. And this, there was just like the light jazzy horns in some of the the transferring from segment to segment closer to the middle right in this one that just like it's so smooth just to carry it from one scene to the next absolutely um the uh we we talked about this a little bit earlier 
but the kind of the style of it, the the indiness of it, it feels it feels cheap in a perfect way. Like it doesn't feel like a major movie production. And that that helps it. These guys are struggling actors, struggling dudes in their twenties. It'd almost be weird to be seeing them in this perfectly film shot staged kind of looking thing. It's it's all done very authentically it's a great camera feel yeah no that's that's a good point because a lot of times where movies succeed in videography and capturing the shots the appropriate way is that it matches the emotion or the feeling or the, the the character of the movie so so that it was the idea that it's such a raw production it sort of fits, right? Raw these, is a really good word for it. Yeah, so it's 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 everything about it is just so raw, and then you think about it, and you're like, well, like so are these guys and their personalities and their their prospects in life. Like everything about it is raw because these are they're young dudes in their twenties trying to make it in L.A. It's not supposed to be perfect. Like this style of filming wouldn't have worked for The Hangover as a Vegas movie because the hangover was more glitzy and wild and over the top. And this was subtle and a little more ground floor, a little more nitty gritty and not nitty gritty in terms of the content, but just of these guys and it's different styles and it just, it worked, it worked perfectly. Have we talked about, uh, Trent's voicemail yet? The one where he's letting Mike know where they'll be. It's just an instance of Trent really trying to help Mike, but it's also, it is very much a great throwback of like, if we're not here, we're going to be here, and then we're going to go here after that, so if you don't find us there, you got to go there. Very much like a a, a lost art, the the how to pre-plan your night. Yeah, and it, it speaks to the, the lifestyle of a young 20s guy, like we were talking about earlier, and potentially just like the LA style, because... You know, that's an area where you could absolutely have plans to go somewhere, arrive, and it's slammed, and you're just not feeling it for whatever reason, and that sort of thing. So yeah, no, that's 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 another like sneakily hilarious part. It's great. It's great. Is there anything else you have down for what worked before we move on that you want to touch on? God. Besides everything, I mean, this movie. I think we everything. I, think I did expect very to much analyze, expressed. I did expect to spend a couple of minutes analyzing the golf game of Favreau and Livingston, but you might not have been paying attention to that. Well, the uh, the um, did you have an eight or a nine? I think I had an eight. What did you have? I had an eight. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give tough, you an eight. And they're playing a par three course too. Yeah. It's it's a nine hole par three course, so uh, not not pro golfers by any by any stretch. It's, I just I love that they're just like playing their golf outfits. They're playing in this this nine hole par three course, not because they really love golf, just because it's something to do. Yeah, they're struggling. They don't have any work. So it actually it's, reminded it's me. Perfect. In, in undergrad, we had a nine hole course on campus that students could play for free, and these dudes are in like just whatever they were wearing that day, right? Like, t- t- uh, Mikey's in the, the Queens College t-shirt and the Brooklyn Dodgers cap. 
So it's it's just like it's it's funny. So it reminded me of that because a lot of the times, you know, we're students, 20, 21 years old. If it's particularly hot, we're out there golfing in like a tank top and a cap and athletic shorts and that sort of thing. So it's it's no, it, it, it reminded me of that, which, of course, is sort of the same thing. It's something to do. And in a lot of cases, my friends and I would just go and just play. And it's laid back. You're not really that worried about your score. So you have similar situations where it's just like, well, you know, it could have been this, could have been this, whatever. We don't even, we didn't even have scorecards. So, you know, uh, yeah, very, that, that part resonated with me too. On that note, I do want to get into what didn't work. I only have one thing. Okay. And it's not, it's not a definite, this didn't work. And it's something I mentioned earlier. You mentioned earlier, uh, the mic talking to his voicemail scene. So there's, there's a bit of trivia on this. It's based off of Jeff Carlin, uh, Jeff Garland routine, comedy routine. Uh, it was supposed to be a running joke throughout the movie, but all of the other scenes got cut in editing. It doesn't, because of that for me, it's not, I don't hate it. I don't wish they would have gotten rid of it entirely, but it is the only surreal thing in the movie. It does stick out. Yeah, and and now that you mention it, we've talked about the lack of loose threads. That's the only thing, right? Like if they would have worked in one more scene toward the end where the voicemail or the answering machine is talking to him, that would have even been, you know, not the tightest of knots, but it would have been tied. Um, yeah, that's. I think that would have. I I really think that would have helped. I think I think it would have made that bit a little better. And I see exactly what they're trying to do. I think it does. It just doesn't work as well as a standalone because it is the only bit of going outside the realm of reality in the movie. Yeah, whereas if that's a recurring voice to, to you know, surrogate as Mikey's inner thoughts, and you use that as a vehicle throughout, just like they did everything else, then it would have it would have been better. I, yeah, I think even one more scene where you bring that back would have tied it together a little bit nicer. And I, I, I like it again. It's one of those things where experimentally, I like what they did with it. Just understanding the position they were in making this this movie, um, but it's a it's a fair point, especially given the history that there were more scenes that were going to incorporate that that got cut. Yeah, I don't I don't fault them at all for that. Did you have anything that didn't work about this one? Nah, man, I <laughs> I, I didn't think so. Um, the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on-screen job depiction, which is in, in these non-sports movie things have been a little tougher to identify than like a sports movie where it's very obvious when, when someone's a good athlete or not. Um, Favreau's perfect as a lovesick dater who's bad with women. Uh, you know, other than that, it's the, you don't really see these guys doing much except like going out. So sure. you don't, you don't see them at their jobs or anything. You don't see them having to depict anything except being a 20 something struggling actor. I think they're all good at it. I don't I don't think there's a best or worst. So, I I did take this a little bit more literally in my oh, good. in my good. deliberation. Mike's a little too 
depressed. We don't see enough of like comedian Mike. I think there are there are. That's a really fair point. It's, I mean, it's a question to be asked. Do you think long term Mike has success as a comedian? Because I kind of had a thought earlier. Like, say Mike and Lorraine get together. Like they, I feel like they move like back to the Midwest or something. I don't. I don't think they they stick it out for the long haul. Yeah, it just. And, and maybe that's intentional, right? But they they lead you to believe that Mike's just a little has a little bit more substance than than you know somewhat okay amateur pro am comedian in L.A. Um, and you never really he's he's witty at points, but it's almost like a too smart for the room witty at times, which can hit or miss completely as a comedian. So that's that that's an interesting one to me. And then Trent says he's a producer. And I, I don't even know, I was thinking about it in the rewatch. I don't even know, he could have been Was lying. he not? I feel like he was blowing, yeah, I think he was blowing smoke yeah, so you up don't know what he asses. is. So you don't know what he is, but for yeah. what it's worth, I think he would make a pretty good producer because he's he's good at schmoozing. He could, he like, he could... He could connect people in the ways that a, a producer does. So that was that was my takeaway. That Trent, e- even with a falsified job, seems like he would be better at it than Mike was a comedian. <laughs> I think this movie, uh, just another thing this movie does well, I am glad that we didn't get any scenes of them working. Yeah, for that sure. That we are left to wonder about these guys. And they're, you know, because... You know, hundreds of thousands of people have moved to L.A. in dreams of making a big and so business. Some are really good and make it. Some are not very good, still make it. And, you know, and vice versa. We don't know much about these guys. We don't know if they're going to make it. We don't know really what's going to happen to them, you know, a week beyond this movie. But we're we're kind of left to imagine we're not supposed to worry about it. We're not we're not dialed into is Mike going to make it in comedy. We're just dialed in. Is, is Mike going to is. Is Mike going to get over his ex-girlfriend? Yeah. Is he going to get Mike one win? Okay. Is he going to get one exactly. win? <laughs> exactly. We don't need him. We don't need him to, to get a Vegas residency. We just need him <laughs> to get a number and not blow it. That's all we need out of this guy. Um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. Before I list off the nominees, my question to you is Rob, is Ron Livingston a supporting character? Because the only ones I initially thought were off the table were Favreau and Vaughn. He... It's interesting because he's sort of in a category of his own. So we could, with the understanding that if he is included, it's for sure him, move yeah. on without him, right? Is that fair? Yeah, because yeah. he is more than than Sue, played by Patrick Van Horn, or Charles, played by Alex Desaire. Uh I also had listed Brooke Langdon as Nikki. She is also the cheerleader in The Replacements. Shout out Keanu, one of my favorite football movies. You know, I thought uh, I and thought Heather I Graham recognized her uh, when I that was when her. I did the rewatch. That That's great. Good to know that that is her. So yeah, if 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 Ron Livingston counts, it's him. Um, if not, you have the those four. I think Sue gets the most meat of any of those. Charles is Charles is a little more in the background. He's not as involved. He's not chasing tail with with Trent. He's just kind of, you know, 
whatever. A note about the the actor, Alex Desaire. He is, per his IMDb, is at least in the pilot of that new A League of Their Own series that I think is being produced for Prime. Ooh. So that that is notable for this podcast. Um, for sure. That's good. I, and now that now that we list everybody out off, like Charles has good moments, but it would be between Rob and Sue. And I think there's a pretty clear delineation between the two. So I, I don't even know that this is a good cast for this for this award, right? Um, unless we just give it to Rob. Like Sue, Sue's got good moments, but doesn't have as much as Rob in the in the script in the story. And it's a pretty. I think it's Rob. I think you yeah. just you you tap on tap on Rob as a he is not he's not on the cover of the DVD, he's not on the poster. Um, he pulls the most weight of any supporting character. Yeah, and, not, and, and yeah. again, he was really 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 good in a couple of scenes, especially which I don't think is is too much for. It's actually kind of the sweet spot, right? Um, yeah, for and since I've never, I've, I've never seen anything that Ron Livingston's been in, and not just love the guy. Like Office Space, I love. I am a huge Band of Brothers fan. Yeah, my fiance is a big Sex in the City fan, and so I by by uh, I, I have seen a bunch of Sex in the City episodes now, and he has a a run I as as one of Carrie's boyfriends really enjoy him in that okay and then he did a stint in uh in Boardwalk Empire which is a show that I really enjoy uh so I am a big Ron Livingston guy I'm more than happy to give him the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award yeah no I think that's that's fair if 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 there's not like an even pool outside of him then we just agree to give it to him for sure yeah so the big chill which every good sports movie has a big chill moment. Um, some non-sports movies do too. Last month's non-sports movie, Pitch Perfect, which does does line up like a sports movie, has a very apparent big chill moment <laughs> yeah. in the finale. This one is kind of th- this one doesn't really have a big chill moment. I will say the big moment in the film is is watching Mike get over his ex girlfriend in real time when she calls and he doesn't care and he wants to talk to Lorraine. Yeah, that's a big. Mo- I, I don't, I don't know how exactly to translate the big chill, the big chill to this. It's tough. There's movie. really not. There's really not anything that kind of lines up. There is no Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights. There's also a semi-athletic feat, even that would make sense as a good nominee to me, and that is when Mike is dancing with Lorraine. And it's kind That's of, a good point, right? The swing dancing when he's crushing it on the dance floor. Yeah, and you don't find out until afterward. He's like, you know, I took lessons with my ex, and up until up until that explanation, you're just like, oh, where where did this come from? Like, he's smooth. He's a great dancer. He he, you know, talked his way into this situation where he was asked to dance by this woman. I think that might be the big chill. It's, uh, that that to me is as close as we're going to get. I think so too. I think you're right in that Mike is just meeting every challenge seamlessly, and that it's just a very effortless. Like this guy is suddenly, and it's it's when you realize he is not only over his ex, but it's like he's going to be okay. Yeah, 
Exactly. And, and that's big. That's the only, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We don't care about their careers or anything. The only thing we really need to get from this movie is Mike is going to be okay. And that's never more evident than when he is dancing with Lorraine. Yeah. As for how to improve this one, I have nothing. I, I don't have a single thing. I got in, include one more of the voicemail yeah. scene. Okay. And yeah, then we're yeah. good. That's a, that's a fair point. That's it's a fair it's point. at a 99.5. Include one of those and that'll get it to, it's perfection. to 100. And that still keeps it under you know 97 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last category, before, more, restore. Prequel, sequel, or remake. Um, this one is a perfect time capsule. I do not want it touched for any sort of remake, even though I'm sure that idea has been floated. I don't think you can remake this one. Yeah, and, and it's, it's lightning such in a, a bottle. It doesn't have a real timeline, right? Like the, the timeline of the movie is, well, it picks up it, like in Medea's rest of Mike's heartbreak, right? So he's already been broken up for six months. So you just pick it up there, and it ends with with that final sentiment that, okay, he's going to be okay, but it's all predicated on someone's emotion. So I, it's tough for me to imagine that you would get legs elsewhere. Like, you, you can't look into the future with a sequel with what everybody's doing because the entire dynamic changes, and the characters, though great, it's not necessarily the characters that that drive the storyline. It's it's one character's emotional journey, albeit relatively short. So I like you could extend the life of these characters. I just don't know how good it would be. And to your point, I mean, it is a perfect '90s West Coast time capsule. There's no need to extend it into the 2000s or. <laughs> Or God knows what they would Yeah, there's no do. need. I would be lying if I said I wouldn't like to see, especially Vince Vaughn, jump into Trent's pants again. Just see what that's like. And I, you know what I would like to see is, you know how the cast of Parks and Rec I had this exact kind of same Zoom? thought. I had this exact same I would same like thought. to see like a quarantine <laughs> Zoom call between Trent and Mikey and Rob, like a 15, 20 minute thing you put on YouTube. It is just, I I think I wrote a piece about this way back in the day for postgradproblems.com and RIP to that site. And I love when the band gets back together. I love nothing. I love it when it happens in my life. I love when the band gets back together. I love when it happens in pop culture. I love it in just a movie when you see the band getting back together. Um, like when the cast of that thing you do reunited for a zoom call, that was the ultimate, Hey, the band's back together. We're 100% I would love on the to same see this band. band get back together for like 15, 20 minutes. Don't try to do another movie out of it. Don't make a series out of it. Just give us a zoom call, put them back in character, let them cook a little bit. I'm in, you've got my money. You've got my attention. There's some, there's some comedic value too. in what Trent is like as a 50 something. Like I, there's so many ways you could go with that <laughs> yeah. too. Like, what is Trent up up to 25 years from? Yeah, because Mike and Lorraine are obviously together, and yeah, Rob maybe finally got that role and is still doing his own thing and thriving. 
but Trent is the the mystery. Rob guy. might be yeah, gotta, like Rob might be Ron Livingston right now. You could <laughs> yeah. see Rob with Ron Livingston's career path. You don't really see Mikey with John Favreau's career path. You could see Trent getting a Vince Vaughn and Swingers type role that catapults him, and suddenly his <laughs> magnetism is off the charts. So True. Favreau, Mikey's the only one I can't you you can't see as much that character following his his actor's career path. Without getting too far in the weeds on this, it would be kind of funny for this Zoom call to happen. And what if hypothetically Vaughn? brings in Owen Wilson and introduces a totally new character to this universe. And like that, because, because Mike ended up with Lorraine, Trent found a new, like just as gung ho about going out wingman. I and would, best I, it now. hurts my heart that we haven't, we haven't seen this Yeah, yeah. because, because before, before Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, it was Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. And this yeah. is just and they and they've worked together again since. I believe John Favreau was in the breakup. Um they weren't, you know, they weren't a uh they weren't like a deal a duo what's, what, like they were. What's the, the one where Favreau is like the um he's a he's an MMA fighter? He's a, he does the it, M- he's an MMA fighter in an in an episode like a cameo of friends. Sure, uh, but there's think there's it, a there's another where it's a is it uh, a Christmas movie? Maybe Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Oh, four Christmases. Or, yeah, four is, Christmases. Is, is Favreau not like his bro- Vaughn's brother or his brother-in-law? And he's this he's this crazed maniac who still lives at home because he's he's a train he's training to be a fighter. Man. I... I feel bad that I'm like going off the cuff with this because it might not at all be right, but I just have this vivid memory of Favreau. I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up the IMDb so- now, okay. but I don't. I, 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 a, I'll admit I did not see Four Christmases. But I did. It's been uh, forever. Let's, let's see. Yeah, it wasn't as high on my. Yeah, Four Christmases. Yes, he played Denver. Favreau did. Denver, and he's of he's in the breakup with uh with Vaughn as well. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, they both like Tim McGraw. I knew it. I knew it. Tim McGraw's in there too. Tim McGraw is Favreau's father. Man, I, I probably, I, I, I probably need to dial up for Christmases cause I feel like I would like it even though it's probably not that good. They have both made yeah. some such like interesting choices throughout their career. Like Vaughn, yeah. especially cause Vaughn, I mean, we're just, we're just going on. I mean, this pod's going to be longer than the movie and I love it. Yeah, but like no, we're, Vaughn we're goes with this, point, he gets the, the 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 spot in the the Jurassic Park sequel, and then he kind of like he does some weird stuff. He does the Psycho remake. He does the Cell. Um, he he just does like some weird stuff, and then suddenly it's old school, and it's like, oh wait, this guy's going to be a comedic powerhouse for the next two decades. But even after that, even after he does old school and Starsky and Hutch and Dodgeball and crashers then he does like he follows up crashers with into the wild which like is a is a supporting yeah, role in into the wild it's, it's just he he's in the true the much maligned true detective season two like vince vaughn is always yeah. trying new stuff which i appreciate so 
Yeah, so with that in mind, there is a Netflix original animated series called F is for Family. It's Bill Burr, the one that he does. I'm familiar with it. I haven't Um, seen it. Okay, so in season two of F is for Family, maybe three, I don't remember. Anyways, um, which came out in 2018. Whichever season that is. So I guess that's season two because they just did four. And so he is a, a character that only has existence within that one season. And he's sort of an antagonist. So he moves into this neighborhood. You know, it's 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 uh, it's heavily related on the, the timing, which is in the 70s and this family. It's it's meant to be really relatable and based on a lot of Bill Burr's comedy. But they have a, a neighbor that moves in who's who's a, a sergeant, military sergeant of some kind. And he's married to this Vietnamese woman who doesn't speak much English. And by the end of the show, there's this really dark thing where he he's like abusive toward her. But the guy's name is Chet Stevenson. And you have to, you get like halfway through the season before you realize it's Vince Vaughn because he's, cause he's doing this sort of thing with like a Southern tilt, but he's also like a, a really hard personality and, and like he's got a flat top. And of course it's a cartoon, so you can portray all of this without it being ridiculous. Because without like Vince giving Vaughn. it away that it's Vince Vaughn. Yeah. But it's that's, this super edgy, right my dark character. And uh, he's really good in it as a voice actor. And I, I don't know that he had done voice acting to that degree uh, before that. So, like, if that's if that's in your your wheelhouse, um, F is for family is is it's it's pretty funny. But I, I find Burr to be really funny. But that that character in particular that Vince Vaughn does, and especially to be his first foray with voice acting for a, a cartoon well i'm gonna check uh, that really out this good. weekend because that, that seems right at my alley darren i think we crushed this one by the time i get through editing doing an intro doing all this stuff it's going to be longer than the movie and i think that is the proper amount of appreciation for this one i am i am thrilled that you took the time to join me especially because you are east coast you're staying up late for this one tell the folks again where they can follow you where they can find your podcast uh, yeah, at Darren Vaught on Twitter, D-A-R-O-N-V-A-U-G-H-T. Uh, same handle on Instagram. I'm not as active there, but if you want to, sure. Uh, um, USA Baseball's podcast covering the bases is available. Um, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, it's on the YouTube channel for USA Baseball as well, so would appreciate your subscription, listen, download, anything there we've been putting putting out some stuff that i'm i'm particularly proud of uh as of late so um darren always a pleasure if uh if you enjoy this episode of big screen sports please remember subscribe rate review you guys know the drill new episodes every monday next monday great episode i know this because i already recorded it uncut gems with my guy sam s fandiari until then we'll catch you on monday thanks
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.